You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 2. So uh, once you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing, Philippians chapter 2, standing in honor of reading of the scripture here tonight. Philippians chapter 2, once you find it, stand in and uh, as we read God's word. We're just going to read two verses. For those of you who are in the, um, the class here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, I've been going through Philippians. I just started Philippians 2 uh, this morning, and uh, this actually has nothing to do with the series. This is a thought that, that I, I've had at a different time, and and one that I'm not going to connect very much to what we've been talking about in class, but one I think that will be a help both to these young people, uh, but also I think once we get into it, you'll find it's a truth we all need. I mean, Bible truth is truth for everybody, and it's truth for young people, it's truth for the elderly, it's truth for those that are newly saved, it's truth for those that have been saved their whole life, I mean, almost their whole lives, long time, 50 years. Truth is truth, and we can apply it, and I'm thankful um, for, it, for that. The Word of God is powerful. Well, we'll read a couple verses beginning in verse 12, and uh, just verses 12 and 13 tonight. Philippians 2, chapter, 12, um, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Tonight we'll be talking about, I guess if I was to give a title for the men up in the sound booth, they're always asking me. I'm terrible at titles, but tonight I would probably call this one first-hand faith. First-hand faith. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful that I could, I could just open it and read it and it would be enough. But Lord, as I add some things, uh, some commentary to your word and maybe just help us to see what it means a little clearer, uh, I pray that you would help us tonight to be open to what it has to say to each of us, not just to these young people, uh, but also to every person in the room. And God, I pray that you would help it to be something that we see where we could change, where we could be better, and that you would use your word to, to pierce deeply into our hearts and help us to see where we might not be where we should be. Lord, I pray that you bless these graduates, help them in their lives to put you first every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If, in case you didn't think that I've already given Josh a hard enough time tonight, I'm going to use him for an illustration. It's natural. He's sitting right here. Um, he seems like he can take it, probably, hopefully. I want you to imagine... Um, Josh is uh, riding a bicycle. Do you ride many bikes? Do you ride bikes very often? I don't know if he does or not, but probably not anymore. But imagine he's riding a bicycle, and there's a close-up on his face. And and you can tell, you can't really tell the surroundings, but you can see in the background there's a blue sky, and there's some billowy clouds, and maybe there's some pretty trees. And, you know, you're kind of close up on his face. The, the, The shot is close on his face, and the wind is blowing in his face, and those... The nice bangs of his are kind of, you know, fluttering in the wind a little bit. He just looks like he's having a grand old time. He's going down a hill or something, just really carefree. You know how it was when you used to ride bikes when you were a kid? 
you know, you, you would ride and you would enjoy it and, and you know, you could just feel like you were going as fast, I mean, just fast down the street and, and uh, just, you know, carefree, that's, that's Josh. And so then, let's just say that the shot begins to pan out a little bit. And, the fur- you know, everything was okay, but the further out that you get, you realize that there's something a little different. See, uh, can you imagine the bike that, that he's on? Just kind of in your mind, you see a bicycle. I'm trying to imagine it. Now, as it pans out, imagine, though, that he's riding a bicycle, and that's fine, but it's a small kid's bike. And it's got the little tassels on the end of the handlebars. Maybe even a banana seat. And the further you get away, the clincher that really kind of ruins the image in your mind is that Josh's bike, he's riding along, he's riding down the hill, but he's got training wheels on his bike. And I know that's a very silly visual, but I want you to keep that visual in your mind tonight because a guy Josh's age shouldn't need training wheels, right? See, riding a bike without training wheels is something he should have learned a long time ago. And I guess I should have asked him before if he really can ride a bike. I'm assuming he can, mom and dad, that he, that's something you taught him a long time ago. But part of growing up is, is doing more and more things for yourself, uh, being less dependent on those around you to meet your needs. And, you know, at some point, the, the older you get, you need to learn how to ride your bike without training wheels. You know, you think about all the things and I, that, you know, this time of year always makes me think about my children and the things that, that we taught them from a very early age. And I see some real young ones in here tonight and, and my mind goes back to what it was like when we had ones that small. And to think about all of the little things along the way that you had to teach them. You know, we've got some in here that are going to be soon having another baby and I'm looking around the room and just thinking about the journey ahead. You know, you're thinking, I've gone through this with these others, and now there's another one coming, and, and I'm going to have to eventually potty train that one. I'm going to have to eventually teach them to tie their shoes, and, and I will eventually, uh, uh, you know, teach them how to brush their teeth on their own and, and uh, to do their own hair. Of course, if you have a boy, you just buzz it, and that's, that's send them out the door. That's fine. I'm gonna, going to eventually have to teach them how to read and, and, and write and and, and eventually, they'll have to maybe be even responsible themselves for, for doing their own homework and, and having some, some initiative and some drive. And maybe eventually, hopefully, they'll get to the place where they have their own alarm clock and they can wake themselves up in the morning. Those are good things for parents to teach their children. Uh, they'll, you'll give them chores and, and they'll learn how to do their chores and, and take care of those things on their own. They'll they'll eventually, someday, hopefully, when they're 30 or so, get a driver's license. When they're 40 or so, get married. Or maybe never. They'll have to get a job someday. They need to get their first job. They need to learn how to work. They'll eventually be, though, and you won't be potty training their whole lives, hopefully. They'll eventually get to the place where they're living on their own. They're supporting themselves they're, they're paying their own bills. They're doing, they're adulting, as people say these days. You know, all these things are, are things you should eventually be able to do on your own. And some of them you learned a long time ago. And I'm thinking about the graduates even here. Some of those things that I mentioned, you know, paying your own bills. And maybe not all of you have your license yet. I would assume that most of you do. But, you know, getting a job and paying your bills and maybe living on your own and supporting yourself. 
If, if you haven't learned those things yet, you will soon. And you'll have to learn them. It's fine if you haven't. Some of those things your parents still help you with. But some, some of those uh, are the, of the things that I mentioned aren't responsibilities you take care of yet. It's okay. But our culture has a pretty clearly defined list of things that represent growing up. There are signs of, of physical and emotional maturity, but unfortunately, many young people live their lives, they're trying to grow up, striving to grow up in ways, uh, but in certain ways, but they fail to grow up in the one way that matters the most. I mean, you've got uh, most young people out there that are graduating, maybe even today in some high school or, or this week in some high school, you know, they already, they did their homework, they learned how to do that, and they, they got to the place where they could wake up on their own, and, and they, they could get their chores done, and, and they, could get, they got their driver's license, and they're, they're getting a job, and they're paying for their car, or they're paying for gas, and maybe even paying some of the, their own bills, and that's good. It's not a bad thing. I hope that you, you all, I hope every child in here eventually grows up to do those things. But in our culture, that is the extent of the growing up that most young people do. And the one area that they need to grow up the most, that is the most important, they're neglecting, and that is their spiritual life. I mean, spiritually speaking, they've, they've neglected that part. And I'm afraid there are too many Christian, even Christian young people, who are spiritually riding bikes with training wheels. See, in other words, rather than growing up to have a real relationship with God and become more like His Son, Jesus Christ... They are content with where they are and either don't have the desire or don't know how to mature on a spiritual level. They're baby Christians riding bikes with training wheels, content with being baby Christians. But Paul gives a charge to the Philippians here to resist that tendency. I want to take a look at it and then we'll apply it. Look at verse 12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but, but now much more in my absence. See, Paul was no longer in Philippi. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He had started the church. He spent months kind of helping them to grow and become what they needed to be in their faith. And he eventually left, and he was writing this from a prison in Rome. So he's no longer with them. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. In other words, he wasn't around anymore to help them to do what they were supposed to do. He wasn't looking over their shoulder. And this is, and I even talked about this a little bit. It's like a father-child relationship as a dad, I want my children to grow up and do right whether or not I'm around. I want them to learn the things that are important to our family, that are important to God, and whether or not I'm looking over their shoulder that they just do right. That's our goal, parents, as parents. We don't want to raise children um, that live in the spiritual basement their whole lives. Meaning we want them to grow up and, and do things that are right because they know they're right. I want to teach them to behave correctly whether or not I'm watching. And that's what Paul is talking about. He wanted to ensure that the faith of the Philippians did not depend on him being present. He didn't want them to just follow Christ when he was around. He wanted them to be real whether or not he was there. Now, part of becoming an adult is getting to the point where no one physically has to supervise you. That's part of growing up. This isn't saying your parents no longer have authority. It's not saying your parents no longer have a say in your lives because they do. Rather, that they won't be as directly influential in your daily life. The next spiritual step, or I'm sorry, the next step after being a teenager is adulthood. And it's exciting, but it's also a little bit scary. It's exciting because you're growing up, but it's scary because you're about to find out what you're really made of. 
I mean, your parents, at this point in your life, you are reaching the end of childhood. And I know there's this other age dis, you know, distinction in most circles today. And you've got children in preteens and all of these things. Children, you know, teenagers. But honestly, I mean, according to the Bible, it seems like there's childhood and there's adulthood. And if anything, you are on the verge of adulthood. You're, you're exiting this phase of your life where you are children. And, and part of this is you're about to figure out if the decisions that you've been making were because of those parents there or those parents there or those parents back there. You're about to find out if the decisions you've been making are your parents' decisions or if they're your decisions. You're about to find out if the convictions that you hold with your dress and with your music and with the things that you watch, you're about to find out if those are your standards or not. Very soon, those things will be revealed. Because how you are when no one is around you telling you what to do is the best indication of real faith. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you, I mean, real life begins. And it begins soon. And I learned a lot about myself when I graduated high school and started becoming an adult and was no longer under the direct influence daily Every day with my parents watching me, telling me what to do, I found out a lot about myself that, that summer after I graduated. So at some point in the growth process, we all have to take off the training wheels. And I could talk to them directly about this. We are applying it to this tonight. But listen, at some point in our lives, we all have to take off the spiritual training wheels and have a real walk with God that's ours for ourselves that no one else is forcing upon us. No, we're going to find out, you will soon find out if the Christian life you have is one you just inherited. See, statistics show consistently that 60 to 70% of teenagers that are active in church walk away from the Lord for a time or all together in the years after high school graduation. It's statistically proven. So think about that. That's a reflection of the same concern that Paul has for the Philippians here, that their faith is dependent on his presence. And once most young people step out from that daily influence of, or of their parents or their pastor or their, their youth leaders, they find out their faith that they received as a young person never really became theirs. And you might could say they have secondhand faith. They have secondhand faith. You could drive around Sioux Falls, and I went to one recently with, with, my, with my wife and my children, and they're acting like it's the greatest thing in the world, like a hidden treasure store. And I'm like, people wore these shoes already. Like, that's my mentality. Secondhand stores are full of stuff that used to belong to somebody else. You can sometimes find something good with still has a tag on it, but, I mean, you wouldn't buy it otherwise, but it has a tag, so you buy it at a thrift store. I don't understand how that works. You know, it seems like countless young people have handed me down faith. And I'm not trying to be too heavy tonight. I, I'm, I, I believe that in a setting like this, that it is a sober moment. Because if I was to stand up here and be flippant and just be silly about it the whole time, then maybe they wouldn't catch the idea, parents, that we think this is an important, pivotal moment in their lives. I mean, if they don't make the right decisions... In the next few months, it sets them on a trajectory for the next few years that could turn into a trajectory that influences the rest of their lives. This is not small stuff. These are not small moments. And, and for many young people, and I'm not saying it's for them 
right here on the front row, but but I believe that many young people have hand-me-down faith. They have second-hand faith. They wear it because their parents gave it to them or because their youth pastor told them it was the way to go, but it never really became their faith. And if we could read the labels on maybe second-hand faith, it would say something like, well, this is my dad's faith. You know, you look at the label and it says, oh, yeah, this was my mom's. I'm just wearing it. Or I got this from my youth pastor or from my pastor and I'm just wearing it because somebody gave it to me and I'm just wearing it and that's the way it goes. My pastor told me I should wear it, so I am. But the fact that so many young people walk away means there's a disconnect. There's not personal faith involved. It's a hand-me-down and unfortunately it doesn't fit very well. And understand, I'm not saying that if you follow in your parents or your pastor or your, or your youth pastor's footsteps, you're wrong. You ought to follow in their footsteps if for no other reason that you haven't lived long enough to know really to make a, a, a wise choice about what right and wrong is for yourself yet. So just trust the people that love you the most. You know, don't rebel against their standards. Don't rebel against their rules because I can promise you nobody in the world has more interest in your spiritual success than your parents do. They're not trying to hurt you. They're not trying to harm you. They're trying to give you something that you can hold on to until you can make a decision for yourself or understand it more clearly. A lot of young people these days are walking around and looking looking at standards and rather than asking why it's there, they're kicking them over. Listen, uh, and you should never kick down a standard until, until you put some time and effort and research into understanding why it's there. Once you understand why the standard is there, then go ahead and make the decision for yourself. But I believe that most of the time, when you take the time to understand why a standard is there, you start to realize, oh, there's some wisdom here. I'm glad it's here. I want to keep this one. And I'm not saying you shouldn't follow in other people's footsteps, but I am saying if if what you have is not personal to you, it's secondhand faith. Young person, your faith in this book and your relationship with Jesus Christ, they need to be yours. It needs to be yours. You must have a first-hand faith if you're going to break the trends of what our culture says is the norm for teenagers and stay true to Christ. It needs to be yours, not your parents or because of your parents, not your pastors or just because of him, not your youth pastor or just because of him. It needs to be yours, not because people expect you to look a certain way or to be a certain way. It needs to be yours, not because you feel guilty if you don't follow in these footsteps. It needs to be yours because Christ made that much of a difference in your life and you have decided for yourself that your faith in this book and your relationship with Christ is worth living for. When you consider what Jesus Christ did for you, it kind of makes a lot of decisions for you. The goal is to have first-hand faith. That's what we want for these young people, parents. That's what I want for every one of my children. That's what you should want for your children. We want to give them a first-hand faith. Faith that's theirs because, it, because it's personal, not because they just got to hand me down. This faith needs to be growth that takes place in your life. It needs to, that it's, it's you becoming more and more like Christ. That you're not just mimicking what you see in someone else. That it's real to you and it doesn't matter who's around. It's yours. Listen, whether you're ready or not, it's time for the training wheels to come off. And as silly as that illustration was at the beginning, I would not mind seeing Josh ride a small bike with training wheels. But I want you to keep that in your minds And I want you to keep that visual in your minds. Because spiritually, you need to not be like that. Every young person must come to the point where they decide this for themselves. 
So I believe that Paul gives some good help here in Philippians 2. And we won't be real long tonight, but I just want to show you three tools to take off the training wheels. See, remember, Paul is challenging the Philippians to live the Christian life, not dependent on him, not dependent on someone else. He's encouraging them to take off those training wheels. So he gives them a couple of thoughts that I think are a help. First, look at the first word of verse 12. It says, wherefore. Wherefore is a connecting word. It ties together what Paul had already been talking about in the verses previous. And if we were to look at verses 1 through 12, we would see some of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. It's talking about how Jesus Christ came to this earth to walk here so that we could have fellowship again with the Father. And as a man, uh, you know, mankind chose to sin, but as a man, he never sinned. So he was, he was able to be the perfect, as we heard this morning, the perfect propitiation for our sins. Our sins put him on the cross and, and they were consequences uh, from our actions that put him there. And the only way that mankind could be restored to the Father in heaven was through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, that only perfect sacrifice. So he did that, though, by leaving his rightful place at the right hand of his father to come and walk these dusty roads, to come and live among sinful men and die on a cross when he could have just with one word wiped all those people out and gotten back to heaven to be with his father. But he laid it all aside, and in humility, he set it aside to come and do what he could so that we could be saved. That's what Paul's been talking about. These aren't small things. It's not small truth. So we're talking about being saved, and and I'd say that tonight. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you've never repented from your sin and turned from your sin to believe in Jesus Christ and the, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you, If you're not saved, you can be saved tonight. Just want to throw that in there. But when Paul was saying, wherefore, those are the truths he's telling them about. He's talking about Christ. So what he's telling them is one way to make sure that you are operating on your own faith and not someone else's. He starts with tool number one, which is a remembrance. He's telling them, remember the work of Christ. And if it gets hard and it gets tough and you're wondering if faith is worth, worth it, what I want you to do is go to Philippians 2 and read the first 11 verses and then decide if Jesus Christ is worth following or not. Because when you read those 11 verses, young people, you will find that he left everything for us so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. When you talk about being worth it, your first tool to follow Christ, to take off the training wheels, is to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. If you want to take them off, don't forget that Jesus died on a cross. Let that drive how committed you are to the faith. And it makes sense. Sometimes young people say they don't have much interest in serving God or or living for God. And to that I would say, wait, do you remember what Christ did for you? He died on a cross for you. And I know this is really simple. I know it's very basic, but Paul's saying this. I think this thought from Paul says a lot about God. You see, God doesn't want us to live a life by duty or by force. It's never been that way for him. God has never said, here are the list of things that you must do. No, he said, remember what my son did for you on the cross and let that drive your relationship. He wants, a, he wants us to be motivated by something deeper than just duty. He wants to be motivated by love for him. I mean, from the very beginning, he gave Adam and Eve a choice because he wanted Adam and Eve to choose him. He didn't create robots. 
So when people are no longer there to ensure that you stay true to this faith, young people, when people are no longer there to, to make sure that you're still having a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want you to say there should be something driving you, and that is the wherefore. That God would love you enough to send his son to suffer so much and die in your place, that should make this faith firsthand faith. Your parents won't always be around. I won't always be around. Your youth workers won't always be around. Your youth youth worker's wife, they won't always be there to hound you about your Bible reading and make sure you're doing right. Something bigger has to drive you. And can you tell me what is bigger than the cross? When you think about what he did for you on the cross, there should be no reason that you aren't motivated to follow a God like that. So tool number one to making sure you can kick off those training wheels is a remembrance. That is to remember what Christ did for you. That's what Paul said, wherefore. Tool number two is a refusal. So tool number one is a remembrance, and the remembrance is Christ's work. Tool number two is a refusal. And this one is important, that you will refuse to settle where you are. That you refuse to be satisfied. See, the second truth Paul mentions about having first-hand faith kicking off those training wheels is found at the end of the verse, uh, verse 12, when he says, work out your own salvation. And you say, oh, well, that church over there, Eastside Baptist Church, they believe in work salvation. I heard the pastor say it. No, that's not what I'm saying. See, work out doesn't mean that you work for it. We can't do anything to earn our way with God. We just can't. See, the phrase work out has the idea of bringing to completion. Work out. In other words, uh, you know, if you put, if you, plant a seed in the ground and it grows up and it eventually blooms. That's its completion. It's worked out. Well, that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. He's saying, work out your own salvation. In other words, don't be content to just, you know, kind of take it part way and then be done. See, what Paul is saying is don't stop halfway. The work of salvation has this much of you, uh, for you to experience and enjoy. So don't get to a certain point and stop. So if, if I was to say that this right here is where each of us starts in our salvation journey. And way over here on this side of the platform is where, the, where you are the most mature in Jesus Christ. See what a lot of young people do, and honestly a lot of Christians, a lot of us do the same thing. We get saved, and then we say, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to start growing. And you grow, and it's great. And you get a few steps along the way, and you say, wow, look how far I come. And honestly, I'm way better than I used to be, and I'm way better than my neighbors, and I'm way better than my family members. I'm doing pretty good. By society standards, I have grown quite a bit in the Lord. And so they settle right here. But I want you to think they've only come maybe... 15% of the way. What God has for them is 100%. And Paul is saying, work out your own salvation. Don't stop over there. That's where the average young person stops. They stop about 20% into the process. And as long as they're better than their culture, and as long as they're better than their neighbors and their friends and the other kids at college, then they just stop there and they settle there and they never move anywhere more than where they are. Tool number two to kicking off the training wheels is, to, is a refusal, refuse to settle where you are. And I don't know where you are. Some of you may be right over here. Some of you may be way past me, way over here, but there's always a gap between you and Christ. 
So just say, I'm not going to settle where I am. I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I refuse to stand right here. I will always be working and spiritually working toward Jesus Christ. See, the Christian life is a billion-dollar life, but many Christians treat it like it's a hundred-dollar life. I wouldn't mind a hundred dollars. I like a hundred dollars. But if I had a billion dollars available, I would not be satisfied with a hundred dollars. John 10.10 says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Young person, there is an abundant life available right now. It's available beyond measure. It's beyond any life you could dream of for yourself. Fulfillment and rest and contentment in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not found at 20%. It's found at 100%. So many young people never work it out. They stop halfway or a quarter of the way or they barely cross the starting line and say, this is good enough. I've given God you know, enough to satisfy my conscience, to get my parents off my back. Besides, I'm doing better than most of my friends. It's good enough. But who's ever said our standard for living is what we decide is good enough or being better than everybody else? That's never been our standard. Our standard is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ worked out. In other words, he went all the way. He did not settle where he was. He went to the full completion I know you're saying, well, he's God, but he's also our example. We're told to follow him. So our example is to be all the way over there. I often wonder if what we call normal Christianity is even close to God's idea of normal. We think normal Christianity is 20%. And can I, I mean, I don't mean to meddle here tonight, but can I just tell you that normal, 20% normal Christianity, those, those normal Christians, 20%, those are the ones that don't come to church on Wednesday nights. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to meddle. I'm just trying to get you to think correctly about your Christian life. Your Christian life is not to settle way over here because it's better than everybody else. No, as a Christian, your question is always, no, where would God want me to be? And that means when we have church on Sunday mornings, you're here and you're here early. When you have church on Sunday nights, you don't ever miss unless you've got a really good reason. And that means on Wednesday nights, no matter what, I'm coming. And if church has outreach on Thursday, I'm going to be there. And if church has prayer meeting on Saturday, I'm going to be there. Listen, we're creating, with our life and with our patterns, we're creating examples for the generation that's following us. And maybe the reason that our children, our generation, has stopped at 20% is because their parents are at 40%. See, we ha- and, and I'm trying to not meddle. I really am not. I'm just trying to give you an idea of what normal Christianity is. According to Paul, normal Christianity is 100%. That's what you're striving for. And you say, well, you know, I was sick or we were out of town. That's, I understand that. But if it's not your habit to give God as much as you can, 100%, then don't be surprised when the next generation following us cuts that in about half. Let's work it out, church, Eastside Baptist. Let's, let's not settle where we are either. We'll, where we settle will determine how far our, the next generation settles. So you've got uh, a remembrance is tool number one, that's Christ's work. A refusal is tool number two, and that's to not be satisfied. Tool number three is a resolution. That's why we're saying I am resolved tonight. And that resolution is to start with the inside. To start with the inside. The third truth Paul mentions is, 
about taking off those training wheels is found in verse 13 where it says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what's interesting? It's interesting that in verse 12, Paul talks about working out. But verse 13 says, working in. It is God which worketh in you. What a great picture. See, as we grow in our Christian lives, God works in us. He works inside. He plants seeds. He, he changes us in our hearts. And he plants these things in our, in our hearts uh, with a desire to do what pleases him. And, and as that happens, then the evidence is worked out. God works in us, and the evidence is worked out. Note the process, though. Young people notice that it is working in first before it's working out. And what that mean, it means is the Christian life is lived inside out. It starts inside, and then it's worked out. See, God does the work internally, and then we give evidence to the change externally. But most religions in our world today have it completely backwards. See, if there's any insight at all, they neglect it, they forget it. It is simply about going through the motions and giving external evidence to a relationship when there's nothing going on on the inside. But that's not what the process that Paul talks about. And, and what I'm going to challenge you tonight with is have a resolution to start with the inside. Don't settle to simply be an outward Christian because our world and our culture is full of outward Christians. People that simply go through the motions and they're just kind of living their life on the outside and they're going through the duty and they're going through the list. If you want your faith to be firsthand, it needs to start as God works in you and then you work out. Cultivate your faith in the quiet times alone with God. It's kind of like driving a vehicle. It can't go, and I don't know how motors work and all that. We've got, we could ask Brother Heath about that later, but it can't go unless it has fuel. But does the fuel get in the car and start it and drive it around? No. See, could we drive the car without fuel? No. It takes both. But it starts with fuel. So God fills our tank and our Christian life and, and he fills it up and we make the choice whether or not we get in and drive it around. But if you don't have the fuel on the inside, your car's not going to move. And it may go a little ways, but eventually that car's going to stop. And I think that's a lot of, why a lot of young people have walked away from the Lord or, or they don't have first-hand faith is because they see what everyone else around them is doing and they imitate it, but no one ever stops to tell them, no, listen, this starts on the inside. It starts with your walk with God. It starts with your relationship with God. You know, it's an inside-out life. And I believe that's a, young, a reason that so many young people walk away. They flip the process. They're outward-in Christians. You know, no wonder so many people stop halfway. It's not very satisfying to labor and work and still never be fulfilled. That's what happens when we don't live inside-out. Honestly, the outside parts, the, the things that people can see, those are much easier, aren't they? I mean, it takes effort to, to, to look the part and to serve and do what you should do. But I'm telling you, the real effort takes place in, a, in, in, your, in your bedroom when no one can see. And it's just you and God. And you're, and you're in prayer and you're in communion and he's talking to you through the word and you're speaking to him through prayer. That's where your power begins. Don't let anybody ever convince you that this is an outward in life. It's not. So maybe it's time to take off the trading wheels. And I'm not, just, I'm not trying to make them uncomfortable. 
Maybe it's time for some of us to take off the training wheels. Because if we can't ride a bike, how are we supposed to teach them? Remember my light bulb moment. Second semester of college. And I started reading my Bible for myself. I had read it on and off through high school and, and just didn't really have a daily, real daily walk with God, a relationship. And one day, light bulb, just walking, just my devotions. In my Bible, just, just, make, just doing it long enough and, and, and trying to you know, obey and trying to be in it every day. And, and eventually the word started to take a hold of my heart. And I remember when the training wheels started coming off. And I'm telling you, and I've talked to somebody just today who was telling me about the training wheels coming off in his own life. And I'm telling you, I've never seen somebody with just so much joy and, and contentment and happiness. And, and, you know, for the first time, maybe they feel like, I really have a walk with God. I really have a relationship. You kick off those training wheels and suddenly your bike riding experience is way different than it used to be. You can go places you never went before. You, you can go so much faster. You can ride down the hill and you could ride up the hill and you could go off jumps if you want to. It's way better than training wheels. Fortunately, a lot of young people will wait until they make a lifetime of, mis- of mistakes before the light bulb comes on. And rather than right now as a 17 or 18-year-old high school graduate, rather than right now deciding this is going to be real faith, it's not going to be secondhand faith, it's going to be my first-hand faith, I'm going to make it real for myself, they wait a while. And then by waiting a while, they put themselves in a position where the influence of the world and the influence of their friends and the influence of their their new college roommates and college classmates start to get to them and and maybe they, they, they start to kind of go off in a different direction. But and because they don't have firsthand faith, there's not something to draw them back. And, and I promise you, you could probably go around the room and talk to many people in this room right here that says, I really wish I had gotten firsthand faith when I was 18 years old. Amen. And not have to go through the life where you come back with some scars to show where you had to go. And, and yeah, there's firsthand faith there now, but... Listen, it's much better without the scars. It'd be better for you just right now to say, the, the training wheels are coming off. I'm not content anymore to follow my parents, just my parents' footsteps because it was theirs. And I'm not content just to wear their clothes. I, I don't want hand-me-downs anymore. I want it to be real. I want it to be for myself. I want it to be first-hand faith. Refuse to accept a hand-me-down faith. I'm not saying reject the faith that's been handed to you. I'm saying make it personal. Make it yours. It starts with salvation. Make sure that's settled. But it's driven then by what Christ did for you. Don't do it for your parents. Don't do it for appearances. Don't do it for expectations. Do it because Jesus Christ gave you everything. It happens inside out. Don't settle for half the life that God has given you or or even 60%. It sounds good, but it's not nearly enough. It's kind of weird for someone to act like a child their whole life. And then when they're, when they're perfectly capable of doing more. It's not natural for a, a, a normal functioning adult to not be potty trained. It's not natural or normal for a normal functioning adult to, adult to never learn to talk or read or write. It's, never, it's not normal for a, a functioning adult to never ride a bike without training wheels or to never get a job. 
We'd say that about that, all those things. But it's no less weird for a Christian to say a baby Christian his whole life. You were created to mature and become like Christ, all of you, all five of you. God has a great life for you, and the greatest life is found in how closely you resemble your Savior. In the same way that you as a teenager don't want to remain an immature kid, don't be content to remain that way as a Christian. See, the truth is, in the end, you'll realize that writing without those training wheels, man, there's so much more freedom. I remember the day, I think I was four years old. It's a red-letter day for a four-year-old. My dad took the training wheels off, and he was holding the seat. And he's pushing me along, and, and I'm riding along and pedaling as fast as my little legs would go. And at that point, you know, he had let me go, and I'd fall over, and he'd let me go, and I'd fall over. So this time I'm pedaling my little legs and said, let go, Dad, let go, Dad. And he said, I let go. And he's way back there, and I've just been riding. Then I fell over because it kind of scared me, but. You remember that feeling? If you've ever learned to ride a bike, do you remember the feeling when you first rode without training wheels? Man, there's freedom there. And I'd love for you each to experience the kind of freedom that when it's your faith, firsthand faith, not hand-me-down, not something your parents just kind of threw at you and you threw it on. No, I mean it's yours. It's custom fit. It's tailored. It's yours. It's time to kick off the training wheels for these young people. Parents, let's help them. Church, let's help them. You know know the best way we can help them? Is to model how amazing the Christian life is when you have first-hand faith. If they see it in us and they see us not you know, kind of floating over here, but always striving to fulfill and work out and to live the whole life that we were meant to live, if they can see us doing that, that's probably the greatest gift we can give our children is to have real faith or real relationship for ourselves. It's time to kick off the training wheels, take those tools and take, take the training wheels off. Number one, remember the work of Christ. Number two, refuse to be satisfied. And number three, resolve to start with the inside. Let's take those training wheels off. Amen. Let's every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.